What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I could be the hive mind of a flock of super intelligent birds or just a regular human girl. You decide. Today on the show, it's Animal Crossing time! The Nintendo Switch game that has infected everyone's brain like some kind of parasitoid wasp. In the game, you create a village made of your animal friends, and part of your journey includes collecting fish, bugs, and fossils, so you can hand them over to your good pal Blathers, the museum curator owl. This game allows you to get information from Blathers about various specimens and fossils. Some of these facts sound beyond belief, but are they? Today, we'll be fact-checking some Blathers facts about evolutionary biology. Can goldfish grow bigger than a foot? Do they have teeth in their throats? Can tarantulas shoot butt hair at you? Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, what is Blathers the Owl hiding? So, for those of you who haven't played Animal Crossing, it's a cute life simulation game that has become one of the most popular video games to play right now. You play as a person trying to start up a quaint village. But twist, all the villagers are animals! Disclaimer here, I haven't actually played the game because I can't get my plebeian hands on Switch. And also, this is not an ad. Nintendo isn't giving me a damn thing for this episode, but hey, if you're from Nintendo and want to give me a Switch, I won't complain. I've been watching gameplay videos of it because I love the fact that you get to be a virtual evolutionary biologist or paleontologist, discovering specimens and fossils. And I was surprised to discover that the items you can collect are non-fictional. The game does a pretty good job of giving you real facts about real-life evolutionary biology, but I did want to do a deep dive to examine these facts to see if they're true, and to find even more surprising details that Blathers didn't tell you. 
Joining me today are my friends, actor-writer-comedian Maggie Mae Fish and writer-director Adam Ganser, and they both host a new comedy podcast called I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours. Welcome, you guys. Hi. Yeah, thank Hello. you for having us. Thank you. I am so excited to talk to you guys about Animal Crossing. Now, full disclosure, I actually haven't played it because I can't get my hands on a Switch, but mm. I love the game. I've been watching, trying to live vicariously through other people <laughs> who are playing it, watching videos. Uh, do you guys both play Animal Crossing? Absolutely. In fact, our islands are currently uh, in, a, in a rebellion, a rival. Uh, Adam's... Yeah. Yeah, Adam is trying to slowly take over my island. Uh, oh, yes. gosh. I've been planting items. I've been doing leave behinds on her, yeah. on her island. Uh, but yeah, I've played over 40 hours of Animal Crossing, <laughs> KG. Uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of Animal Crossing, and I've done that. Uh, can't take it back, I guess. Uh, one of my favorite things about the game is the fact you can collect specimens, including fossils, bugs, and... I guess fish, aquatic animals, and show them to a little owl named Blathers who will tell you Blathers facts about the things that you are delivering to him because he is starting a museum and you are donating these items to the museum. And as I was watching these gameplay videos and getting really into it, I was thinking like, actually, these facts sound mostly true. And I was really curious to explore the Blathers facts and see how much of it is true, if there's anything that could use further explanation. So I'm really excited to do a deep dive, a deep critique on Blathers and, you know, maybe drag Blathers a little bit, but not too much. I mean, he's asleep half the day that the museum is open. So if anyone's going to be dragged in the Animal Crossing universe, you know, it's probably the person sleeping on the job. <laughs> right, he's also an academic. He can he can stand the critique, right? This I mean, is he, pure, that's this true. Is peer review, peer right. review. <laughs> so, in this first part, I want to talk about the aquatic animals that you can catch in the game and turn into blathers. So, I love his enthusiasm for explaining all these facts. It is adorable. And I'm going to try to do a Blathers voice. Uh, I'm going to do some quotes from Blathers. Uh, Thank God. And let's see. I imagine him as being British, right? Because he says, a what? You know, like. Yeah, kinda... it's implied. Mm. He also, I think he's wearing a tie all the time, if I yeah. remember correctly. Very like British. A, yeah, very and British. And an Argyle sweater vest. So there's no way he's not British. Yeah. So when you turn a goldfish into Blathers, he says... A bunch of stuff, but one of the Blathers facts, he says, is why they can grow up to a foot in length. And so let's look at whether this is true. So what do you uh, guys think about this Blathers fact? True or false? A goldfish up to a foot. Can't they get, can't they get larger than that? Am I wrong, Adam? Uh, uh, yeah, dude, no, no goldfish will survive that long in a ganser home. Uh, so I'm just guessing. Because you eat them? Is that why? No, just, just you know, uh, containers too small for their ambitions, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say this is false because a foot seems impossible to me. So, Maggie, you're saying they can grow bigger, and Adam, you're saying they, there's no way they could grow up to a foot. I'm going to cap them at a uh, half foot. I'm going to cap them <laughs> off at a half foot. <laughs> well, 
Before I reveal all to you, first I want to talk about what exactly a goldfish is. So there are many different varieties of goldfish. The most iconic goldfish is the Caraceus aratus, which is a freshwater carp that was a result of selective breeding in ancient China. And one myth about goldfish is that they are one of the stupidest animals in the world. And while they're certainly not the smartest, they are one, a lot smarter than they're given credit for. They can, you know, the saying like having the memory of a goldfish, saying they have like a three second memory, all that. That mm -hmm. is not true. It's slander against the goldfish. Mm. And they can retain memories for up to three months. And they can even recognize their owners and learn not to be shy around them. Some will even come up to you and beg for food because they recognize Whoa, you. Whoa! That's I, amazing. That I had no idea. Wow. So you can make you can get a friendly goldfish. That's possible for yes. a goldfish to be friendly. But you have to wow. work on that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I got a I got a goldfish in college, uh, and it died. Uh, Within a day, it died. Uh, it was really sad. I was really messed up about it for the next. I it was shockingly affected me. Um, I don't know if I was very fragile at the time or just like. <laughs> did you win it at a carnival? How, how did well, you obtain it? Well, we bought it from the pet store, and like oh. presumably there was something you know wrong with it beforehand because I I don't think we sure, did right. anything wrong, but. Just seeing him upended the day after, you know, deciding to get a pet with your roommate. Uh, it's a real judgment. It's a real judgment yeah, on you as a, as a caretaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Maybe that's why. See, KG, I'm going to live different now. I'm already. I've already. I already have things to repent of. I'm going to live different in light of this because <laughs> every goldfish I've ever had was forced on me, uh, uh, like, like by a carnival or something. So I never thought of it as like, oh, this is a real friend opportunity. Right. I thought of it as more like a like a, a visually pleasing chore. I see, you know? sort uh, of a, a a fishy responsibility. Right, and now uh, I'm going to live differently because I could I could have a friendly goldfish, Maggie. That might happen. Yeah, you're right. changing lives, Katie. And I'm gonna about to blow your minds with more goldfish facts. So it's interesting. You both are sort of correct about the goldfish. So. Adam, you mentioned you don't think they can get very large in tanks. And Maggie, you said you think they can grow over a foot in length. And you are both correct. Although I guess I would say Maggie is more correct. Sorry. <laughs> so Somebody keep score of this. Mm -hmm. Maggie, oh, I will. one point. Adam, like, I don't know, point three points. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm okay uh, with that. Yeah. Uh, in tank environments, goldfish do not grow very large. And why is this? Well, when I was a kid and I heard this like, oh, goldfish can't grow because they're in a tank. I thought there was some, I guess, awareness of how big their tanks were and like something in their brain was like, well, we can't grow that big. So we got to we got to stunt this growth. But that's actually not really true. So goldfish can, like Blathers suggests, grow up to a foot in length, and actually there have been goldfish recorded that have been even longer. And goldfish are actually indeterminate growers, not indeterminate showers. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, Katie! <laughs> that was dad, a true Blathers fact. Sorry. You know it is, I am, oh, remember, yeah, I am. Adam, did you know I'm Maggie's dad? Because of all the dad jokes. 
I'll, I'll accept this fact because I've already. I need to. I need to catch up in points. So sure, <laughs> right. I'll accept that. Point for Adam from me. Yeah. So indeterminate grower means that they don't stop growing at adulthood, and they can keep growing basically as long as they're getting the right resources, nutrition, and are healthy enough. Obviously, their growth does slow down significantly once they're adults, so we don't have like just infinitely large goldfish, but they can, in theory, keep growing until they die. And in fish bowls or small tanks, because the water quality is typically poor, the goldfish growth is stunted. So it's actually not the dimensions of the tank, but the quality of the water. And obviously, when you have a smaller tank, it's almost impossible to have enough water flow, a good uh, sort of microbiome in the tank that is healthy enough for the goldfish. So if you have a goldfish in a bowl, it's not going to live very long and it's not going to grow very big because a bowl is not a great environment for a goldfish. If you have like a, a big old fish tank with a nice filter and like, you know, 20 gallons or more, it might live a little longer and grow a little bigger. If wow. You had a, if you had a wall-sized aquarium, mm-hmm. Maggie, and then like all that was in it was like three goldfish <laughs> that are six feet long. Yeah. That would, that would really crush. You would, that would really crush. That would uh, really crush. You joke, yeah. but I have thought of something like that. Like get just a huge tank and put like one goldfish in there and see how big I can get them. Oh my god! Well, you know, I I feel less bad that mine just upped and died, you know, with when it because it was a small tank that we bought. So yeah, yeah, I feel a lot better about it. I still I want to know more about this pet shop. I want to know more about this journey to get a goldfish (laughs) and how that happened. But I don't want to distract from the content of this podcast. No, no, no. You know what? That's that's more for for our podcast, isn't it? Really, anyways. To find out more about Maggie's journey to get a goldfish, (laughs) check out. The podcast, I'll show you my goldfish if you show me your goldfish. (laughs) Yeah, well done. (laughs) So in ideal circumstances, their lifespan is a lot longer than you might guess. They can live over 10 years, and one goldfish reached a record of living to 43 years old. And that's, you know, longer than Jesus, sorry to say. Long enough to buy a motorcycle and make some different choices, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get that, uh, get that midlife crisis. Get a tramp stamp, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get a new goldfish wife. Like, yeah, <laughs> or hook up with a beta on the side. Now we're imagining that. So on to the here. Here's the real, the real meat of the issue. The goldfish meat is how big these guys can get. So it's hard to say what their actual maximum size is, but what we have on record is a 19-inch goldfish, or 48 centimeters. So blathers, they can grow over a foot in length. Aha! Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And if you guys check out, I do have a photo in the notes of an 18-inch goldfish, just so you get an idea of how big, big, what a big boy that is. Dang. Oh my god! I thought that, that that looks like a totally different kind of fish. Right, either <laughs> a very tiny woman or a very large goldfish. 
like a one foot tall woman. Uh, it looks like a red snapper, and I yeah, again, I only think that because of Animal Crossing. Uh, but that's that's what it looks like. Well, what's interesting is goldfish are actually a type of carp, and carp, as you may know, can get quite large. And speaking of carp, actually, let's listen to another Blathers fact about carp. So here we go, <clears throat> getting into character as Blathers. Oh, the carp, have you ever seen their teeth? For your sake, I hope you have not. Carp have teeth in their throats strong enough to crunch on hard things like shells and fingers. A good rule of thumb when dealing with other species is to keep your fingers out of their mouths. Although having neither thumbs nor fingers, I am quite safe from this little fellow. <laughs> I appreciate all the bows you're doing at the end too. I appreciate Thank you. It. Yeah. yeah, Katie, you and Blathers are very similar. Uh, yeah, in, in a spirit essence. I do feel like yeah, it is true. I I need like more argyle sweaters. Uh, I had one in college. It kind of grew out of, but mm. yeah, I need a sweater yeah, vest to really fully embrace who I am. So let's uh let's look at this claim, this outrageous claim that Blathers is making that carp have teeth in their throat. Doesn't seem like that would be real, but let's go let's... on a learning journey. Whee! They're like a sarlacc pit. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, so first, what are carp? Obviously, goldfish are a species of carp, as are koi fish. Carp are a large family of freshwater fish known as Cyprinidae, and indeed fish that are in the carp family, including goldfish, do have throat teeth. Just picture Aww. that for a minute. Let wow. that sink in. So do uh, all fishes, including my family, <laughs> our throat teeth. <laughs> we all get them removed at age two instead yeah. of yeah. risk. It's sort of bit. like getting your wisdom teeth out. It's the throat teeth. They're the real unwise pain to floss, teeth. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, how you, yeah. How you floss in those throat teeth? <laughs> you kind of just choke it down. <laughs> and then gargling the yarn. Gargle it. <laughs> yeah. So scientifically speaking, these throat teeth are pharyngeal teeth. And they are teeth that grow out of the pharyngeal bone in the throat. So if you guys check out the document, there is a picture of these throat teeth, which is ah! very cool to look at. Ooh. Oh, I, I was thinking like little spines or something. No, just teeth. No, that was like teeth. a whole set of jaws or something. Yeah, but what? in the throat. What? So it's not just carp that have throat teeth. There are some species of fish who also have pharyngeal teeth, like clown loaches, and they actually can make clicking noises with the teeth, which is great. I don't know. I love that. That sounds just totally not creepy to hear clicking, and you look over, and there's a clown loach, and it's clacking right. its throat teeth together. I feel like that fish was doomed to be creepy when it was called clown loach. It's like, well, you know, it's, fe yeah. it's fate is sealed. It's got that big clown energy, the creepy clown. <laughs> <laughs> My throat's hungry. And then just laughter forever. So you might wonder why fish have throat teeth. Why, why do you guys think fish have throat teeth? I'm going to go ahead and let the point leader... Uh, start hey! off with this. Uh, start off answering this one. Well, I know why we have throat teeth. Uh, as... I'm gonna go ahead and let the point leader tell us why that fact is true too. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, like, uh, you know, I well, birds, you know, have rocks in their in their throats like to a grind up food. A gizzard. So, yeah. uh, is it a is it a similar similar fashion? 
Yeah, is it like a is it like a cow's stomach where there's like just phases of chewing? You are absolutely correct. Oh wow. The throat teeth help them grind food as it passes through their throat. And ah. it's interesting you mentioned bird gizzards. We might actually cover that later in the podcast. So look forward to that. So I want to talk about one more fish. The bitterling, which is a fish you can catch and give to blathers in Animal Crossing. So here's blathers on the bitterlings. Bitterlings hide their eggs inside large bivalves like clams, where the young can stay safe until grown. The bitterling isn't sneaky. No, their young help keep the bivalve healthy by eating invading parasites. It's a wonderful bit of evolutionary deal-making, don't you think? Each one keeping the other safe. Though eating parasites does not sound like a happy childhood, is that why the fish is so... Mm, bitter. <laughs> ah, Dad. Oh. Again, Blathers is essentially me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> making yeah. all these dad jokes. There, there's a lot of puns in Animal Crossing. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that just... Yeah. This is why, God, I need to get my hands, my my grubby little hands on a Switch. Uh, it's it's like sold out everywhere though, so I am having some trouble. But I will I will get it somehow. In some way, you can't open a present or or collect a bug without the game insisting on a pun, like oh, forcing so <laughs> forcing mm-hmm. a pun down your your your. Oh throat my god, teeth. I can only get so jealous. You, yeah. Oh my yeah. god, I need this game. You know game. what, Katie? You should just like keep your eye out for any balloons that kind of just are floating by your house yeah. or whatever. Just pop them from your window. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> So unfortunately, I do have to take my my dear friend Blathers to task here because he is a little off on this fact, although there are some really interesting things about the bitterlings that he is correct about. So first of all, bitterlings, again, we're talking carp on this show. God, this is a real carpy show. So bitterlings are a genus of fish in the carp family. They are a small leaf-shaped fish who only grow about four inches or 11 centimeters. They do indeed lay their eggs inside freshwater mollusks such as mussels. So it's a really kind of twisted way of doing child rearing, sort of uh, outsourcing child rearing forcibly. So It's like alien. It's like alien yeah. rules. Uh, yeah, yeah. Alien invaders. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, John Hurt is a mollusk in this situation. <laughs> and maybe so, in the movie, too. <laughs> that may be true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a mollusk, just, just so people know, like a mollusk includes things like mussels, clams. Those are bivalves. So the female will stick an ovipositor, which is basically a long tube that you pump eggs out of. Think of like a boba straw, but in reverse. Uh, don't think ah. about that, actually. but the they will kind of get their ovipositor into the mussel or another freshwater bivalve and deposit a couple of eggs into the mussel's gills and then a male will mosey on over and shoot their sperm into the intake siphon of the mussel which then comes in fertilizes the eggs that are forced into the gills of the mussel and then those eggs will develop into baby fish which is cute (laughs) so the mollusk is like the the seedy motel of the animal kingdom is that what i'm writing right now yep 
If all sex was conducted through air vents, yeah. Hmm. That's like <laughs> <Is> ants crawl. <laughs> Which is really how you have to do it in the age of the quarantine anyway. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, this is actually really good social distancing mating advice. Yeah. Like, just mm-hmm. use a muscle as a proxy. <laughs> Look to the ah! bedding, my friends. Yeah. Oh, nar. <laughs> oh, that didn't do it for you, Megs? I mean, well, to me, I'm like picturing something, you know, like procreating in your ear, and then suddenly yeah. a it's bunch true. of them fall out. A mollusk does remind you of a mouth, by the way. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's basically a tongue with a shell on it. So it Who is. Didn't... Who didn't take like a clamshell and use it as a little puppet? Be like, hey, buddy, uh, <laughs> are you feeling crabby today? Well, I, I'll clam up. Yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> this is my soft pitch to write for Animal Crossing, by the way. <laughs> I think I think you uh, uh. are instantly signed on. I think. That, yeah, <laughs> you would do amazing. That DLC is going to be all yours. <laughs> so uh, the baby fish also called fry, also called larva, which is decidedly a less cute name, so I'll keep calling it a baby fish. They live inside the host and leave when they've grown large enough. So I'm not sure if Blathers is actually correct that bitterlings are in a mutualistic relationship with the mussels. So mutualism is when both species are in a symbiotic relationship in which they both benefit. In this case, I'm pretty sure the bitterlings are actually parasites. So a study published in 2006 in the Journal of Evolutionary Biology by Reichard et al. found that the bitterling is a parasite to the muscle. The bitterling imposes costs on the muscle and does not reciprocate any benefits to the muscle. So it used to be thought that the muscle larva would actually infect bitterling fish. So there was sort of this trade-off like, I'll infect you with my babies, you infect me with your babies. But actually it was found that the baby bitterlings are especially good at avoiding getting infected by muscle larvae. So it will cost the bivalve precious oxygen and food because the baby fish are inside the muscle sucking up all their oxygen, eating up all their food. And it feeds on basically any bits of organic matter that enters the bivalve. There's no evidence that they exclusively feed on parasites. It's just whatever they want to eat in there, they eat. So, yeah, they, they're they just kind of freeloaders. Wow. Tight. Yeah, get, Great. cool. Awesome. Do it. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Like, the system is against them. So, you know, whatever they have to do to, to make it work for them. Wait, wait, wait. Are we, are we taking the side of the bitterlings like they're... Like they're progressive protesters i mean i don't know i don't know i don't know so occupy i'll occupy muscle wall street (laughs) occupy muscle wall i'm 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 a fish you know i'm I'm biased so she is Uh, a fish her name is maggie may fish Uh, not not for like it's not just a surname she's a fish i don't you guys can't this is an audio medium so you can't see but she is actually a fish yeah that's yeah i got i got some babies Cooking in uh cooking in my um scallops in the, in the freezer. <laughs> oh gross. I'm in a very <laughs> weird mood today, you guys, so this is yeah. great. <laughs> uh, this is all so just wonderful. The good news in this story is that the bitterling babies are safe from predators while they are inside of the muscle. And they actually have to develop some interesting adaptations to survive inside of a bivalve. 
So first they have developed ways to anchor down amidst the flow of water through the bivalve because like a bivalve has an intake siphon and an outtake siphon where they pull in water and they push out water. So there's a current inside of the bivalve. So the baby bitterling has to kind of anchor itself down and they have like sometimes they have like spikes or like these quote Mickey Mouse ears, these like protrusions on the side of their heads that really help them just like wedge into the gills in the muscles. And it also they it's just really it's I don't know sinister. Just, they yeah. have like Mickey Mouse ears while they uh, uh-huh. I don't think it's too strong a word to say force themselves <laughs> into an unwilling muscle's mouth and yeah. uh, live. There. <laughs> Yeah, in the ah. equivalent of their, it's not like in the, it'd be like the equivalent of like a human's lungs. It's like in their gills. So it's like, I'm just going to live in your gills. <laughs> right. <laughs> Only, you know, it doesn't cutely summon uh, magic brooms to like do its tasks and chores for you. <laughs> uh, I just, I just formally retract my endorsement of these, uh, of these fish. <laughs> I was trying to tell you. I was like, bro, I don't think this is the side you want to land on. <laughs> these sinister Mickey Mouse fish. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's try to take the side of the mollusks now. So mussels are mollusks, but another mollusk is actually the squid. So let's hear a blathers fact about squids. <clears throat> Many mollusks like snails and clams have shells, but the squid's body is almost completely soft. The exception is a long, narrow bit of hard material going through its main body, the last remnant of its shell. Of course, having your shell inside is not a best practice. Perhaps they lost the owner's manual. (laughs) (laughs) I keep expecting KG to just float away with an umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Help some other small children achieve their dreams. (laughs) So... Blathers is correct that squid are mollusks and they are almost completely soft and squishy. So let's talk about this whole thing with squids and shells and what is what the heck is going on? Why are clams a mollusk and squid a mollusk, but they are so different? How come? <laughs> How come? Oh, Why so? This is the part we're supposed to know? Uh, uh, I'm not... It's a hypothetical question. I'm set, I'm setting myself up to drop some some dank squid facts. Don't you worry. <laughs> nah. Don't even I was going to say, I was like, that's uh, far beyond my pay grade. As a, I'm about uh, to blast your dang minds with squid facts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so squid do indeed, like Blathers, just have a remnant of a shell inside them. It's called a pin. And it is actually a leaf-shaped structure made of chitin that serves as a sort of backbone for the squid. And I want to also talk about a relative of the squid, the octopus, because octopuses do not have any internal shell. They are 100% squishy. Just they can squeeze in and out of any tiny opening because they they don't got no bones, no shell, nothing, just 100% squish. That's how I like them. That's how I like my tentacled creatures from the sea. One hundred percent full squish. squish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, their their beaks are tough. Like that's the only hard part of them is their beaks and their resolve. They do have a hard resolve, but their beaks and their resolve. Yeah, they they are resolved. That's true. You could see an you could see an army of octopuses doing some real damage down there. 
they ever yeah. got together. Yeah, if they ever they ever colluded. Yeah. So we've actually talked about this on the show before on the episode On a Date with Nature, but there is only one octopus that actually has a shell, and it is the female Argonaut octopus who has a thin shell, which is actually an egg case. It looks like a nautilus shell, and she floats around in it, and it helps protect her eggs, and it is quite spectacular looking. Oh, I forgot to put an image of that, guys, but if you just Google it, it's really cool. Look, look at Argonaut octopus shell. It's very pretty. Other than the Argonaut octopus, octopuses do not have shells and they have no internal shells. I want to talk about why squid and octopuses and other cephalopods decided to ditch the shell. Like, is it as Blathers suggested that they lost the owner's manual? Well, it's actually a little more complex than that. Sorry, Blathers. When you look at the evolutionary history of squid, octopuses, and cephalopods, there were a lot of early iterations of the octopus and the squid. They did have shells, but it was a trade-off between mobility and armor. So a shell gives you nice armor, but it makes you a lot slower and less agile. And it seemed that mobility won out in the evolutionary race. Being able to move around quickly and nimbly allowed the cephalopods to evade predators while still being able to catch prey. Extinct cephalopods with shells died out because, according to University of Bristol paleobiologist Jacob Vinther, quote, they couldn't keep up with the new shellless kids on the block. I love it when biologists try to like use hip lingo. Oh, it's the best. To describe. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. The best. And they always you know? quote something out of style. It's, right. it's so good. It's 20, 2019 or what, whenever this article was written. And it's like the new shell is kids on the block. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oops, the, nature these, did it again, bro. <laughs> <laughs> these new, these new, these new dink cephalopods are, are straight up naked, yo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> So you there pitch is. You to write those manuals too, I think. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of writer, a lot of writing gigs coming out of this one for KG. <laughs> so the Nautilus is actually the only living cephalopod that has a true full shell, and it is. It basically has remained unchanged for hundreds of millions of years. So if you kind of want an idea of how these early squid and octopus relatives may have looked, you can look to the Nautilus. Some octopuses actually kind of split the difference between being able to remain mobile and having armor. So the coconut octopus will find discarded bivalve shells, such as a clam shell, and they'll carry it around and then close it around itself to form a shelter when threatened. And they're called coconut octopus because they also do the same thing with coconut shells. So if you guys click on that link I have highlighted here, you can take a look at this in action. It is very cute. These things are like Batman. Like a utility Where? belt of clamshells? Well, and like they get these new versions of shells that are slightly more flexible but give more armor, <laughs> like Batman does every movie. Right. They don't have superpowers. They just have the gear. Right. They have the gadgets. Is there anything in video games or like, I, I guess like, pop culture that is similar to that like something that carries around a shell and then hides in it and pops out of it because I, I feel like there is something but it's at, on the tip of my tongue I can't think of what it is uh, what's her face uh, from Pokemon Topeka what's her name 
well, all the Pokemon essentially are carried around in balls. Well, that's you know. true enough. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Also, like Seamus, uh, from what Met- Metroid? No, Metroid. No, wait, what is it? Samus from Metroid. Samus, yeah. Samus yeah. from Met. Seamus. <laughs> Seamus, the Irish, Seamus. the Irish Metroider. The Irish. <laughs> <laughs> got to, got to deal with these gosh dang Metroids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those Metroids are vexing they are. Uh, <laughs> get me the Murph ball. <laughs> Why do we so often gravitate towards video games where progress can be made? In Animal Crossing, you build a village. In other games, you gain levels or powers or armor or in-game currency. Is it escapism? Research data has indicated it's not just a desire to escape reality, but to fulfill certain psychological needs, such as competency, autonomy, and interrelatedness. We like to feel accomplished at a task, and video games makes it easy to progress through a skill in a very clear and quantitative way. We also like the feeling of being in control of ourselves. I know that when I'm gaming, I often find myself just jumping around, jumping onto things just to see that I can, even though it has nothing to do with the actual goal of the game. I think it might just be my mind feeling satisfaction at having control over my avatar. And we also like to feel as if we have an impact on our community. That's why there are so many online games. One of the most popular features of Animal Crossing is the online community elements. Getting these needs fulfilled through games isn't necessarily negative, as long as you're also trying to get them through other things in your life as well. That is to say, take potty breaks, you nerds. When we return, we'll talk about one of Blather's favorite subjects, bugs. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. In Animal Crossing, Blathers is, let's say, not a huge fan of bugs. I'm not sure why, given that he's an owl, and owls generally love to eat bugs. But why are so many people afraid of these creepy crawlies? While many insects are, in my opinion, beautiful and harmless, even helpful, certain bug-like creatures can in fact be dangerous. A few spiders, who aren't really bugs but arachnids, can be venomous, and many other insects can sting, bite, or, as we'll find out, launch their horrible butt hair at you and give you a nasty rash. I don't think this is a reason to hate our many-legged friends, but to admire their ingenuity, especially in the butt hair department, which we'll now discuss. The bug kingdom gets real uh, varied in what they accept in, my, right, for, in exactly. Animal Crossing. I believe a snail's <laughs> Yeah, those are a mollusk, a gastropod, a terrestrial gastropod. Yeah. Stupid but, blathers. <laughs> stupid blathers. <laughs> they also called like a hermit crab a bug, and yeah. I don't think that's quite right. Yeah. But, you know, whatever, blathers. Uh, this, is, this is where I got, a little, I got a little sass for blathers on this section. No, no, no. I mean, I have sass for blathers, too, because he... Blathers is very anti anti bug. Yeah, any time very anti bug. Yeah, every time you present him a bug, he freaks out, has like panics, expresses his disdain for bugs, while simultaneously assuring you that he will give the bug a good home. But he spends most of his time calling them horrid creatures. So I don't know, Blathers. Are you gonna give them a good home? Who believes that? Yeah, right. And also, like he eats bugs, so like. Sweetie, that's a eating disorder. Like that's nothing to joke about. Yeah, what, uh, what, what is he, he supposed should... to be eating if not those bugs? Right. Well, he guys. Okay, he is an owl, so he would be eating small vertebrates like uh, rodents. Uh, uh, you'd ah. think that, but we're in Animal Crossing logic, my friend. Mm-hmm. Where all animals are people. <laughs> that's true. So uh-huh. he has to have eat those real. bugs. He has to. All right, yeah. but have you ever seen a mouse? Villager, isn't the isn't there a rat that uh, uh, there's that, like, there's mice or something? Yeah, there's, there's mice? like I don't I know if you've seen mice them lately. Or a rat, but... Do they ever go missing? <laughs> I have not I can't seen keep them track lately. of any of my guys. <laughs> so I want to go over some of Blather's facts about what he calls bugs. They're not always bugs. So, for instance, we're going to talk about tarantulas, which are arachnids. So he when he's delivering this he is terrified because he is very scared of them Uh, but let's let's take a listen to what blathers has to say about tarantulas it is a fact tarantulas have barbed belly hair these awful arachnids let loose their spiky itchy hairs to protect them from predators but seeing how tarantulas prey on frogs mice and even birds one must ask who needs protecting from whom who who indeed? Who who? <laughs> so Blathers is suggesting that tarantula have spiky, itchy hair that they can shoot at predators to protect themselves, which sounds totally made up, but this is very, very true. Dang. These spiky, itchy, barbed hairs are actually called urticating hairs, and they are found on tarantulas, some species of caterpillars, and also even some species of plants. So urticating hairs grow on the tarantula's abdomen, 
and it's usually like a patch of distinct hair. Like, you know, tarantulas are fuzzy all over. Not all of those hairs are these urticating hairs. There's usually just like a little patch near the back of their abdomen. Kind of looks like it's on their butt. It's not their butt, but if it was a butt, I guess that's where it would be. Yeah? I mean, yeah, I'm fine saying that they're shooting their sharp hairs like a blow dart out of their ass. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay saying that. Yeah, it's not like it's it's like if you had like a hairy butt like on the actual cheeks, not like from the sorry to get crude everybody, but not from the beehole, but like right. on top of the butt and you have a hairy hairy butt and then you shoot those hairs off in your enemy's face. Right. Yeah, that that is that is what that is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a dart that you could shoot out of the side of your butt cheek, right? Uh, exactly, it'd be like that. So the way they shoot these hairs is they actually use their hind legs to kick off the hairs, like as if, like if you have a stack of money and you're doing doing the flip thing where you're just like you're just spreading the money out with your hand, except instead of money, it's sharp hairs that hurt and burn when they touch you. <laughs> What a nightmare creature this thing is. Uh, and if you guys take a look at f figure five, I didn't actually label these, but you know, it it's on the document. You can see mm -hmm. a tarantula with a conspicuous bald spot on its rear end. And that is a bald patch that is a result of it kicking off all of its urticating hairs, which will only regrow ah. after it molts. So how many times does it get to shoot? It's prey or whatever with those uh, dart hairs. A good number of times because okay. it doesn't go. I don't think it goes bald like the first on on the first shot. It, you gotta keep shooting it until you really wear away that patch. Right. And then when right. it molts, it'll grow a new patch. So it's it's got a good supply of butt hairs. So it's like a it's like a paintball clip or something. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pew 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 pew. <laughs> That is the sound that tarantulas make when they are <laughs> dusting off their butt hairs at your face. Another thing that Blathers asserts is that tarantulas don't need protecting from anything. And Blathers, that's just anti-tarantula bias because tarantulas have a lot to be afraid of. And it's something that Blathers should know about, which is wasps. So actually, Blathers does have a lot to say about wasps. Do you, have you guys gotten stung by wasps uh, much? I, I intentionally got stung by one just to keep my aesthetic of the conqueror alive <laughs> when I went to Maggie's Island the first time. <laughs> oh, did you do that intentionally? I just figured that that, that was, had happened. That I was having a bad time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> having a bad time. It's, it's fine. Either way, uh, it added to the conqueror aesthetic, did it not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I caught uh, I caught five wasps in a row the other day. So Damn. you're talking to uh, you're talking to a wasp queen. I'm gonna a tell real you, wasp expert over here. You really are. I'm mm -hmm. gonna tell you what the tarantulas don't have to fear, and that's me with a net because I cannot catch one of them, no matter what I do. <laughs> they're they're having a party and a parade when they see me coming. <laughs> so in the game, if you are unlucky or lucky, I guess if you're Adam, if you try to chop down a tree, sometimes you accidentally run into a wasp nest and the wasps will attack you and your face gets all beat up and it's a whole thing. This is what Blathers has to say if you turn a wasp into his museum. Wasps are sometimes called meat bees because they 
eat meat, meat of almost any sort. And then Blathers gets really nervous, starts sweating. (laughs) Aggressive predators with venomous stings. Wasps not only hunt and eat other insects, they paralyze their prey, then drag their victims home alive, leaving them for their larvae to feed upon. So this, again, seems beyond belief. And again, Blathers is totally correct. So wasps do eat meat, and... They are, I would say, maybe one of the most insidious insects out there. They are, they're pretty creepy. They're, they're kind of like the, the, the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmers of the insect world. They also look mean. Wow. They're a mean-looking yeah. insect, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's some, something about them. Yeah. Uh, the cut of their jib is something about it. So wasps are a group of insects within the Hymenoptera order, which includes bees, ants, and sawflies. There are both solitary wasps and social wasps who form group nests. So in Animal Crossing, because you get into a swarm of wasps that all attack you, those would be the social wasps. Whereas if you come across like one solitary wasp with its own little den that is, you know, going to be a solitary wasp. Some species of wasps do indeed paralyze their prey, drag them into their dens for their larvae to slowly consume, sometimes over many weeks. So (laughs) just when they paralyze their prey, when are they dead? At what point is the prey actually dead? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a hard question to answer because they get eaten up over a long period of time i mean like how would you like if you have leftovers at one point are the leftovers dead uh they're dead at the point at which i cooked them but (laughs) but uh but like Mm -hmm. is this like sarlacc again is this sarlacc rules where it's like they're slowly subjected to pain and torture over a thousand years is it like that basically but usually only up to around a month (laughs) only a month right but in bug time, so, that's a millennia. You know what I mean? That's true. That is true. It's like a, a billion years in bug time. Yeah. So the spider wasp and tarantula hawk wasp are pros at this. So Blathers was just saying that tarantulas have nothing to fear, but he knows about wasps. And wasps, wasps can subject tarantulas to the most horrific fate imaginable, imaginable for any creature. So... Wasps who lay their larvae on or in a victim to be slowly eaten are called parasitoid wasps because their larvae live as parasites on their victims. Some species of parasitoid wasp larvae save the spider's vital organs for the very last so their food lives and stays fresher longer. Maggie, you sounded weirdly interested in that. that Yeah, I mean, that's... That's what I do with my lucky charms. I leave all the marshmallows to the end, and I just feel like uh, I get it. Just imagine the the lucky charms are are actual lives. Then you'll realize how maniacal that is. In this case, the lucky charms are the tarantula's lungs and other vital organs. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Whatever. However you can empathize with these wasps, I guess... 
So some parasitoid wasps even control their prey's brains. They will lay their larvae on or in orb weaver spiders. So orb weavers are a group of spiders that weave these beautiful elaborate webs. But when the wasp lays her eggs in the orb spider, either like inside them or on top of them, the wasp larva actually starts to interfere with the spider's brain functioning. And it makes them weave these little cocoons that keep the larva safe. And then as thanks, I guess, for weaving it a little crib, the larva feed on the poor spider and then eventually just kind of like shucks its dead body out of the crib. Uh, that's mm, ah, I see. Truly, truly dark. <laughs> dark, dark in a profound way. I feel like I'm just making Blather's case more for why he hates he hates bugs, but I think it's I think it's cool they kill their babysitters. I'll say that on the record. Yeah. <laughs> Put me down in the pro column on that issue. <laughs> Next, I want to talk about mantises because Blathers has a lot to say about mantises. So if you turn a mantis into Blathers, this is what he has to say. And though mantises tend to eat bugs and spiders, mantises have been known to dine on small animals too. And those eerie eyes, oh my, did you know it has five of them? Two big ones and three small. I shall faint if I think of it further. So, again, Blathers is correct about this. So, mantises are adept killers, and larger species are able to feed on small vertebrates like frogs, lizards, snake, mice, and even hummingbirds. It's one of those shocking things to see hmm. this insect just grab a hummingbird out of midair and start snacking on it. Uh, yeah, I've never seen that. Is this, am I just missing, am I watching the wrong planet Earth? Is that what? Is there like a dark like one? Are you on like the wrong it. planet? Is it, is it like Planet Earth Nights or something? Like there's like a dark version <laughs> of that. <laughs> planet Earth Vice. Yeah, after dark. <laughs> David Attenborough just really lets loose. He's like, he's like got a giant bong. He's like, hey, check out yeah. these mantises. They pour him three fifths. Of, they pour him three fifths of Jack to start. He's like, all right, like a- Attenborough's ready to go. I think they they have a real intimidating aura, real cursed aura going on because they have those long scythe-like arms. They are really quick when they strike and they have these big creepy eyes that seem to follow you everywhere. So there are multiple species of mantises who can feed on hummingbirds and these are females that can grow around two to three inches long and these females were observed mating and snatching hummingbirds out of midair like a real boss bitch. <laughs> like doing them simultaneously? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's like that episode of Seinfeld where George like combines all of his passions into one <laughs> strange <laughs> super passion. That's what mantises are doing. Exactly. Wow. That is that. Yep. They are the George Seinfelds. Or wait, his name's not George Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> the George, George Costanzas of the natural world. Yeah, this, it's like a real Caligula operation over there in Mantisville. <laughs> so, like Blathers said, mantises do indeed have five eyes, even though if you've ever seen a mantis, it looks like they only have two. 
So the two eyes you've probably noticed are their large compound eyes, but in addition, they have three tiny eyes on the top of their heads used for detecting light and dark, while those big compound eyes are able to see depth and movement, which allows them to snatch hummingbirds out of the frickin' air. And so it's, it's, it's just kind of one of those things where I've, when I think of a mantis, I think, yeah, two-eyed two mantis. Then they just have a bunch of secret extra eyes. That are apparently <laughs> all dedicated to grabbing hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. They're like Bilbo trying to get the ring back, right? Just <laughs> like grabbing hummingbirds out of the air. I just love, I love a secret eye. Like, you thought I only had two eyes? I got a secret and eye. And then you open your Where mouth, is it? and there it is. <laughs> so many eyes. <laughs> It's like under my under my hairline, yeah. I part my hair, and there's an eyeball. Right next to the throat teeth, there's some eyeballs <laughs> back there. Yeah, the- got secret teeth. I got secret eyes. What else mm-hmm. do I have a secret thing of? That's really that's really it. It's the, I kind of want all these things. I just want all these parts <laughs> added. You know, I want to get a souped up package of me. I got a secret finger somewhere. <laughs> ah! The mantis's compound eyes are actually really interesting too. When you've, if you've seen a mantis, it looks like they have pupils, right? Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, right, like just right in the center. Yeah. 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 Always kind of following you around. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel that. Well, so these are actually pseudo pupils. So light is absorbed into the compound eye due to the angle of, you know, like what a compound eye is. You have like this bunch of facets all over this eye and so when light goes in it's entering it at this angle and it absorbs the light in so there's a dark spot that is actually kind of an optical illusion that looks like a pupil but really it's where the light is getting absorbed by the compound eye so there's a lack of light there it's kind of like you know how a shiny ball will have that highlight on it that seems to follow you around when you move the ball it's like that except instead of reflecting the light back at you it's absorbing all the light right. in like a black hole yeah manises but are it's... stealing the light from the world is what's what you're telling me <laughs> yes this is true yeah their eyes are drinking light so what a what a cool creature <laughs> yeah sucking the light out of the world the the magnificent mantis a noble creature <laughs> How do compound eyes work? Arthropods, insects, and crustaceans have compound eyes, an eye made of a bunch of tiny light-sensing units. Each facet of a compound eye consists of a cornea, lens, and photoreceptor cells. These facets are called amatidia. There can be as few as five amatidia to up to 30,000, depending on the animal. Mantises have about 10,000 amatidia. Each of these photoreceptive units send a little piece of a visual puzzle to the brain, which the brain assembles into a whole image. The resulting image will have bad resolution, but the benefit is that it gives the insect a huge view angle, allowing them to detect danger or prey all around them. Think of how hard it is to sneak up on a fly and swat it. They have an IMAX panoramic view around them, and they can see you trying to be slick with your swatter. When we return, I promise you'll understand this stupid joke. What's a fly's favorite fossil? A coprolite. It's, it's paleontology humor, everyone's favorite kind. We'll be right back. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. How are fossils formed? There are actually a few ways that organic matter can be preserved into a fossil. There's cast fossils, where a specimen gets trapped in sediment and their bodies dissolve, leaving an impression in the rock that forms around them. Or the inverse, where sediment gets trapped in a skull shell or other hollow part of an organism and forms an internal mold. There's also permineralization. When an organism gets buried in sediment before it decays, groundwater can fill their empty body cavities. This groundwater is full of minerals, which then fills the empty space, forming a fossil. Paramineralization can be so precise, it can preserve the cellular structure of plants. Paramineralization is one of the processes that results in petrification, the transformation of organic material into minerals. Sometimes, surprising types of organic material can be turned into stone, and that's why I've got you round-trip tickets to Defecation Station. Toot toot, all aboard the Excrement Express. You guys find many fossils in Animal Crossing? At least four a day. <laughs> sometimes five. Is there a fifth one sometimes? I thought it was yeah, always four. I mean, I find... Am I wrong? I don't know. I think I find five, but <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Or maybe you have a better <laughs> island. I knew your island was better. Uh, maybe. Uh, dude, I, I gotta mean, conquer it, it. I gotta conquer it. I'm gonna conquer your it. fossil rich island. Yeah. I see I see why Adam's trying to conquer your island now. As soon as I get a switch, Katie Katie's coming for your fossils. <laughs> <laughs> Especially your coprolites. 
So oh. I'm going to talk a little bit about coprolites. So when you bring a coprolite to Blathers, this is what he says. Coprolites are, in fact, bits of fossilized feces. Hoo! Ew! The coprolite from certain plant-eating dinosaurs has been found to contain small pebbles. This tells us that these dinosaurs, like many modern birds, ate rocks to help grind their greens in their bellies. Who knew? Who, who? Who indeed? <laughs> you're really taking like- really to the character, I think. Thank you. Yeah, this is also my audition, audition tape for <laughs> Animal Crossing, the live action motion capture film movie. If you think that's oh, not I'm sure happening, they would... uh, you're, <laughs> you're mistaken. It's happening. Just tr- trust me. Directed by Tom Hooper. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's a musical? Mm-hmm. I just hope it's like human faces on animals <laughs> is my dream. Yeah. So it's... it's- <laughs> That's, that's very cats, the musical. But I actually, I still hope that they talk in Animal Crossing. <laughs> that's sort of like weird, weird speech. That yeah, I hope they have human faces that they're doing Nintendo speak. Exactly, human faces. I want my my human face on an owl, and I'm just going like. That's it. That's the movie. It's like it's like it's like Koyana Scotsy. So coprolites are indeed fossilized poop. Don't be too afraid to touch coprolites. Like most fossils, most of the poop has been replaced by minerals over hundreds of millions of years, but they do hilariously keep their poop shape. Like good fossils really look just like, you know, a turd. I got a couple of pictures of those in the notes if you want to check them out. Yeah, I saw that. Thank you to help me visualize it. Yeah, if you want to know what ancient poop looks like, there it is. You know I'm going to include links to these ancient poops in the show notes. You know it. You, I, I you... did know that, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew it instinctively. So they had, they had some fiber in their diet, these, uh, these dinosaurs. They did, and they you know? also had rocks in their diet. And I want to talk a little bit. Actually, Maggie, I think you talked about this earlier, about how birds have little rocks in yeah! their desert. And this is... Yeah, we're going to talk about bird digestion, Whee! bird digestion, bird digestion. It's bird digestion corner. <laughs> it's my new my new segment in the show called Bird Digestion Corner, which I'm sure I'll do every week, probably, maybe. So birds do indeed eat rocks to help them digest food. So birds, hate to break it to you guys, they don't really have teeth. And their beaks are good for pecking, ripping, and cracking. And sometimes they have spines in their beaks that help them catch fish, but they don't have teeth and they can't really grind food up. So they will pick small, sharp rocks or really gritty sand and swallow it up. And then once a rock has been swallowed by an animal for digestion purposes, it is then known as a gastrolith. So... These sand or rocks will go into a specialized muscular part of the stomach called the gizzard. In birds who eat food that requires grinding, like grain, seeds, and vegetation, the tiny rocks in the gizzard grinds up this food. In fact, when I had parakeets, I had to give them this special, it was like this kind of sandy little tiny grains of rock and just a little tray of that so they could swallow it so they could 
eat the seeds that they ate. Oh. Wild. And uh, what happens when they're finished, when they've smoothed out those stones? I mean, I think that it just kind of gets expelled. Like once it's a, once it's sort of a fine enough powder to go through their digestive system, it just mm. like passes through them. Mm. You know, like when you eat rocks. And it's picked up by smaller creatures. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Usually when I pass them, I then use them to skip across a lake because they're all smooth now. <laughs> You just kind of yeah. aim aim towards the lake, see see how much velocity you can get on that thing. Yeah, you got to get a good spin on it too. Yeah, you'll get four or five skips, Maggie, if you got a, <laughs> yeah. a real good gizzard oh, stone. Hey. <laughs> so, what's interesting and a fact that Blathers kind of glosses over, maybe because it's too personal, is he doesn't talk about owl digestion. Suspiciously. Suspiciously. He suspiciously omits that. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because, again, I'm wondering, like, you guys keeping good track of those rodent villagers? You haven't noticed any missing mice or anything? Because owls poop out pellets, yeah? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't poop them out. They actually hork them ah. back up. They throw, they regurgitate that's them. That's it. That's it. If they if they ever let you uh, build a PI center or a cop, like a cop station on on, on your Animal Crossing island, <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of what Blathers is eating. I promise you. Ah. <laughs> I mean, it would make forensics, it would make re- forensics really easy because you know Blathers is at the police station going, I don't know anything about the missing Mister Mousy, and then he just like. <laughs> regurgitates a little mouse skeleton and like his little hat yeah. and the mm-hmm. shirt he was wearing. Yeah, and he also gives you the cute nickname that only the mouse would have given you. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, Squeaker. And you're like, Squeaker, huh? Oh. I didn't know that Squeakers was murdered. Nobody said anything about Squeakers being murdered. Yeah. So in Birds of Prey, like owls, the gizzard serves a different function. So it is actually a filter for all the inedible parts of their prey, like bones and fur. So owls swallow their prey whole or rip them up into edible chunks. Real cute, Blathers. But they don't chew. So those soft, fleshy bits of the prey get ground up by the muscular contractions in the gizzard, while the hard, indigestible parts get compacted into pellets, which the owl later just kind of barfs back up. <laughs> I'm sorry. The sheet says horks back up. I, that's which true. I, In my notes, I did write hork. horks. They do hork it back up. That I, is... I insist on that word being used. <laughs> <laughs> they hork it back up. That is the scientific term for it. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm writing these notes, I get a little creative just to make, you know, to, to make a little fun for me. Yeah, just sometimes just one for Katie. Yeah, just, I understand. That's a little one for Katie, a little bit of, <laughs> you know, because like you can only write regurgitate so many times, for which I do. I write it right. a lot of times <laughs> lot of for time. this show. So, Before you know, it loses its creative, magic. hork it up, toss, yeah. toss your cookies, you know. Yeah. So another fossil that you can turn into blathers is the Dunkleosteus. And actually, on these gameplay videos, I see a lot of people call it the Dunkelsaurus, which I understand the urge to call it that because most like ancient animals do end in some kind of saurus, but this is actually the Dunkelosteus. So th- this is what Blathers has to say when you turn in a Dunkelosteus fossil. 
The Dunkleosteus flourished long before the dinosaurs, and it was a sort of armored fish. Curiously, only fossils for the head and shoulders have been found. We must simply imagine the rest. While its face was rather frightening, I like to picture a cute little tail and perhaps some fluffy paws on its fins. Such what? speculation is not scientific, of course, and essentially amounts to paleontological fan fiction. I own that. <laughs> What? So, so Blathers is running a real island of Dr. Uh, Moreau situation uh, on this dinosaur, right? He's writing, he did just confess that he's writing paleontological fan Which fiction. Don't we all? So I can only We're imagine, like, it's like right. the Dunkleosteus and, like, Snape getting into some romantic snafu. Yeah. Mm. Mine's just called T Sex. Ah. You, know I mean? you can imagine where it goes mm-hmm. from there. <laughs> so. Unfortunately for Blathers and whatever weird fan base he has for his Dunkleosteus fan fiction, the Dunkleosteus probably did not have fluffy paws on its fins, but it is an interesting point he brings up because a lot of reimagining fossils is based on guesswork and creative license in terms of reconstructing something when like, so if you only have the fossilized remains of the head and like kind of neck area, then how do you know what the rest of it looks like? So let's talk a little bit about the Dunkleosteus. So it was a huge fish with a frightening looking head that kind of looked like an evil Digimon. Uh, There's an image there you guys should look at. Mm, Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. Like an an evil Digimon, right? Uh, I'm going to say yes to that, uh, but you've exposed my my bare tarantula ass in terms of knowledge about Pokemon. Because I don't, I've shot <laughs> oh, my whole lot of oh, knowledge. Oh, Digimon and Pokemon, Pokemon are two very different IPs. <laughs> see? You see what I mean? I, I didn't know. I know you didn't. The, your, lawyers will be contacting uh, you shortly. <laughs> <laughs> There's another image in the doc you can see of what artists have imagined its whole body looks like. So it looks like a big, gray, frightening, shark-like creature It did, in fact, grow up to what paleontologists think it grew up to about 29 feet in length, which would be about nine meters, and weighed about a metric ton. It had a tough plated armor exterior, at least on the head, and instead of teeth, it had sharp bony beak-like plates that it used to eviscerate its victims. It went extinct about 358 million years ago, and there's no fossils of the rest of its body, so reconstruction is based on other extinct fish of its class, Placodermi, who have more extensive fossil records. But one of the problems with reconstructing fossils into animals, as you probably kind of know from the whole thing with like, we didn't used to think dinosaurs had feathers, but now we think a lot of them did. They were big old fluffy chicken-like creatures. So I, I wonder, I mean, part of me wonders if the Dunkleosteus, instead of looking like a terrifying zombie shark with this evil Digimon face, could actually have been really colorful with like a long flowing tail and, and bright, vibrant colors to attract females. I mean, I don't, I have no evidence of that either, but it's fun to think about. Yeah. Just like two really shiny antenna, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe like a birds of paradise style mating swim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why not? 
Just random dongles coming off of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like when it squishes its body together the right way, it makes a different kind of face. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. It's got or like it's got sort of a accordion like an accordion body that oh, yeah. like makes fun noises as it swims along. <laughs> now we're sort of in Alice in Wonderland territory, but I'm not opposed well, to Blathers, that. If Blathers can write fan fiction about this this uh, ancient fish, I want to write fan fiction about it, and I say it was a colorful accordion boy. I uh, and I'm not here to dispute it. I'm just here to. Uh, to copyright it and sell it to someone. <laughs> <laughs> so next I want to talk about the Megacerops. So when you turn in a Megacerops fossil to Blathers, he says, This large fellow was a bit like our modern rhinoceros, but with two horns on its nose. Sadly, their small teeth restricted them to a diet of rather soft plants, and eventually they died out. I feel there is a valuable lesson to be had there about learning to enjoy a variety of foods. You know what? Okay, Blathers. It's a real, real smarmy, e- easy. Hindsight is twenty-twenty, is what I'm saying. Here you are, not extinct, probably eating all the mice, going like, oh, have a varied diet. Right, also like, uh, right, right. are you going to lecture history? You should be right. better past than you were. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so the Megacerops, also known as the Thunder Beast, is indeed an extinct rhinoceros-like ungulate. So ungulate are hooved animals. Uh, so while they do look a lot like rhinos, they aren't super closely related to rhinos. They actually diverged from the species that evolved into rhinos earlier in the evolutionary tree, so they're actually more closely related to horses. And they're kind of goofy looking. If you guys take check out that picture I sent you, there is a reconstruction of Megacerops uh, next to a guy, like it's Photoshop next to a guy that's just like casually leaning against it, which I find interesting. It's insane to me that you're that this creature is not more closely related to the rhinoceros. Because it looks, according to this rendering, identical, except for, except for uh, instead of having one pointy horn, it has the back of a hammer for a nose. You know what I mean? I like, go, you yeah. Could, if there was a giant Like a nail. slingshot nose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think that this rendering probably is making it perhaps more rhinoceros-like than it may have been, just because it's like, maybe the description was like, I don't know, it's a rhinoceros with a slingshot nose, like, do it and then the artist went with that but it, it's hard to know like what their fleshy body parts actually look like maybe a little less rhinoceros like but still they, it is convergent evolution does happen where you have animals independently evolving extremely similar characteristics so it's possible it looked very rhinoceros like even though the rhinoceros didn't directly descend from it The Megacerops was about 8 feet or 2.5 meters tall. It was 16 feet or 5 meters long and weighed about 3 metric tons. So, you know, sizable heft, a a good amount. It's a lot lot of Cerops, I would say. It looks like a rhinoceros if it was made for Lord of the Rings or something. Mm -hmm. Right, right, exactly. Like how they sort of, instead of elephants, they're olifants. Olifants, Mm -hmm. yeah. They're they're, uh, extra big with like a separate (laughs) tusk. I mean, Jared Tolkien was a very creative guy, but I do like how he just kind of like, I don't know, only fans. Bigger. <laughs> like, who cares, man? It's a book. You'll They're be fine. Bigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah, their horn kind of is in, in a Y shape instead of like that conical shape. So it's like a big Y as in why does this thing exist? And <laughs> the answer is that it is theorized by paleontologists that this face fork was used by males as a battering ram in rivalries based on fossil records of broken ribs. Uh, although, you know... Like, my theory is they strung up, like, a rubber band on there and used it as a big old slingshot, like in right. the Flintstones. Ah. Right. It also would make a great, it'd make a great like, uh, gun sight. So if you were mm-hmm. to shoot bullets mm-hmm. from Ooh, the yeah. rhinoceros's mm-hmm. mouth, boy, would you be accurate doing that. Natural yeah. snipers, yeah. exactly. Yeah, nature's snipers. Now I want, like, a sort of... Some sort of like historical fiction of these are still alive in this cyberpunk dinosaur, dinosaur cyberpunk, and you're using one of these as like your sniper buddy, <laughs> and you guys are partners, and you're you're assassinating like dinosaur Hitler or something. You're you're in luck. That almost identical game exists, and it's called Turok Dinosaur Hunter. <laughs> That's Dang it! Pretty close. Oh, I love Turok. Every idea I have is about... always Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about our last fossil and last topic of today, which is the Diplodocus. So, if you turn in a Diplodocus fossil to Blathers, this is what he has to say. Did you know that its center of gravity was such that sitting up on its hind legs was probably easy? What's more, paired with its long neck, this ability greatly increased its reach for eating plants. Best of all, Diplodocus probably grew its entire life, having no adult size. Wouldn't that we were all so gifted? So, so... The Diplodocus was a very interesting dinosaur with very interesting proportions. It was a sauropod, which is a clade of dinosaurs with long necks and long tails. Think about like the long necks in Land Before Time. That's all yeah. I <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Every day. <laughs> or, you know, a good old Brontosaurus, same, same uh-huh. clade. And it's interesting. So like when he said uh, Diplodocus probably grew its entire life, we talked about that earlier where it's an in, indeterminate grower, not inde- indeterminate shower. <laughs> uh, so, this is, so this is like the prehistoric goldfish? Well, only in that way, but sure. I need to under, I can only understand <laughs> one animal with a different animal as a comparison point. Wow. That's all I can do. Wow. Diplodocus went extinct about 152 million years ago. It is one of the longest dinosaurs growing around 80 feet long, which is 24 meters, and they weighed around 14 metric tons. So that's big. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty big. Wait, how big is that? How many football fields? How many buses? It's a, 80 feet is like a, a medium length pass from, from a, a quarterback. <laughs> Does that help you? Yeah, that's very helpful <laughs> for me, someone who's good at visualizing sports. <laughs> <laughs> so Diplodocus had a teeny tiny head compared to its body size. It's like it's got this really long, meaty neck that kind of ends in this like little <laughs> head. It's actually kind of funny. But if you guys just Google Diplodocus. I, I'm actually familiar with, uh, with Mr. Diplodocus or Mrs. Oh, oh are you? Uh, I read about seven dinosaur books when I was a kid. 
and I've retained <laughs> three names of dinosaurs, and this is one yeah. of them. Yeah. It, it, just briefly, wasn't the brontosaurus, doesn't that no longer exist? Am I wrong? You mean the, that classification? It, well, wasn't that, wasn't the brontosaurus a thing that was uh, actually an apatosaurus and they had the wrong head it on the body or something? It was, but then it wasn't, so there actually is now. No, oh, I they think... changed it back? Yeah, I yeah. think they changed it back. It's that like there is brontosaurus and apatosaurus uh-huh. and diplodocus. So they're all they're all there. They're, they're all, all there. partying. They're all the sauropods. Yeah. But that is that is one of the hard hard parts of being a paleontologist or a paleobiologist. It's like you just kind of have to assemble dinosaurs. You get it's like an IKEA thing, but it's a bunch of bones, and you're just no instructions, nothing, not right. even the crappy IKEA instructions. And it's like, <laughs> is this? A new dinosaur, or did I just get the bones mixed up with another dinosaur? Not even an Allen key that screws it all together either. You get nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Because its neck was so long and heavy, it probably couldn't lift its head much higher than being parallel with the ground. So oh. consequently, it probably ate a lot of vegetation that was close to the ground or just pushed over trees when it wanted to eat the leaves on the trees. But it is true that its center of mass was so far back on account of this really long tail that it could probably sit up on its hind legs like a tripod using that huge tail as a third leg and then kind of giving it a little bit of extra height so it could reach up into a tree. That's uh, really not how I've ever envisioned one of these animals being. (laughs) You do think of it as just being able to like kind of nimbly lift its head up, yeah. right? And, because it's such it's a and it was a flexible neck. It just was very heavy, so the muscles required to really lift it high up would be be very difficult to lift that much weight up. So it's more likely it just kind of like tipped over like a seesaw <laughs> to like get it get some elevation. <laughs> so you're telling me Jurassic Park is a lie? That's what you're telling me. I mean, they don't well, have Diplodocus. They have Brachiosaurus, but Brachiosaurus may have been able to lift its head. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like it's the, the, some of these animals could have lifted their heads, but this guy this one had a long. real, real thick old meaty <laughs> neck there, and it also had a ridiculously long tail, even by sauropod standards. Just like, and it gets real. It's like it starts off really thick and gets thinner and thinner, and it 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 looks made up how long it is. In fact, the tail was so big and long, the vertebra in the tail had to have, quote, double beams. So you know how vertebra have those little, like, protrusions that come out of the back of it or and on the sides? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So those are called spinous process, and they are the bony protrusions. But in addition to those spinous process that, like, come out on sort of the, the top of the spine, they had another bony protrusion on the bottom of the vertebrae so it was like this like support extra support beam that prevented the veins in their tails from getting crushed from the weight Mm. of this massive tail wow paleontologists speculate that this long tail with over 80 vertebrae may have had a defensive function being used to create a loud sound by cracking it like a whip. Now, I think that this is actually a Blathers fact in A New Leaf. Uh, I, Yeah, I think it is where Blathers talks about how Diplodocus uses its tail as a whip. Computer models of sauropod tails show that Diplodocus and their relative, Apatosaurus, 
may have been able to crack their tails at supersonic velocities, creating a mini sonic boom like a bullwhip, which could have been as a defensive thing or to, I don't know, woo the ladies with your weird whip tail. Or just to like have a great weekend. Yeah. You kidding me? <laughs> just getting out there whipping your tails around? Woo, woo, woo. That's, that sounds rad. Just cracking your tails. Yeah. Getting funky with it. Yeah. Cracking open a diagonal beer and just whipping each mm-hmm. other like like the boys do. Yeah, these sauropods like to party. Yeah. More like sauroparter part uh, damn it. Sauroparty. <laughs> I like the quitting better than the joke. I like damn the quitting it. the quitting was better than the joke for me. <laughs> Look, they can't they can't all be winners, you know? I'm I'm not I'm I'm not a blathers. I can't just pump out these great jokes with every with every dinosaur fact. You, but you 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 do a pretty good job. You're doing a pretty good blathers Thank you. tonight. I thought. Thank you. I'm yeah. like a discount blathers. Aw, a dime store Dad, blathers. You're more than a discount <laughs> blathers to me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, daughter. <laughs> oh, I forgot that was happening this whole time. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that I'm I'm Maggie. We did establish that is canon. Mm-hmm. We've established in previous episode where I had Maggie on, and I did adopt her for me to be her dad because of the dad jokes. And we were yeah discussing Star Wars. It was very you know it was a it was a whole dad thing. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole dad thing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get wouldn't, it. Like you wouldn't get I it. Definitely, yeah. A dad. yeah, I wouldn't get so. it. I, I wouldn't understand that at all. Which, uh, which? I have no connection to it. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Now I usually ask, do you have anything to plug? But I know for a fact you do. So get on with it. Ah! Plug that. Plug that thing. Thank you for having us. Uh, Max, pl- plug it up. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so Adam and I have a new podcast called I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours uh, on the Small Beans Network. And yeah, uh, Adam and I uh, answer a very deep philosophical question with a favorite, with a movie, uh, a, an album, or uh, a book. And then. Uh, Maybe a book. Maybe yeah, a book. We'll see. Maybe a book. Uh, but anyways, we see what our favorite pieces of media says about us on a, on a deeper level. So, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, like a, it's like a pop culture Rorschach, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you will. And where can folks find you? They can find that podcast on the Small Beans Network, which is available on any place that uh, podcasts are available. They can find me on Twitter at the real Gans, and uh, same on Twitch if you're into video game streaming. Um, and I have a couple other podcasts you can also find on Small Beans if you are really into video games or into uh, films. I have uh, two more podcasts there. Mags. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MaggieMayFish.com. Uh, and you can also find my video film essays uh, on my YouTube channel, Maggie Mayfish, uh, just my name. And yeah, you can also uh, follow me on Instagram, also my name. So come find me. Say hi. You can find us also on the internet. We are on Instagram at Creature Feature Pod. We are on Twitter at Creature Feet Pod. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That's something very different. If you want to hear my Katie thoughts, you can find me at Katie Golden. And as always, I am also pro-bird rights, where I am fighting for the rights of birds to dominate us. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that so mm-hmm. much. We also have shirts. I th- I've already talked about the shirts before, but just a reminder, we do got shirts. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Pretty sure if I can remember to do that. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you are enjoying the Katie Facts, the Cather's Cather's Blather, Kathy Blathers. Uh. Wait, Kath- yeah. No, no, no. I'm not doing. I'm not going with that one. Um, but if you're in, if you're enjoying my my the Katie Facts, uh, please do leave a review or a rating or subscribe or download. Those things actually really really help me. It does something with the algorithms and the AIs and the podcasts, and it helps us keep this show going. Every time you do a rating or a review, I feel it in my bones, and it makes me so happy. So thank you so much for listening. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio website, the iHeartRadio app, or Apple Podcasts, or hey, wherever you get your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.